0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Inside Brockhall podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? I am very well, thank you Elliot. Are you good? Yes, I'm good. I've been looking forward to getting this out and uh, getting moving with the podcast for a while now. It's It's been a long time in the making, but really pleased to, to finally be able to put this together with yourself um, and really looking forward to hopefully a good reception from the Blackburn Rovers fans who think I've been looking forward to it as well. So a little bit about the podcast and what we're going to be trying to do for you guys every single week. Just a little bit of a peek behind the curtain from myself and from Ryan. Insight, analysis and weekly episodes. So every single Monday we'll be dropping a new episode of the Inside Broccoli podcast. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Inside Brockhall. And we should have some special guests, some interviews as well to come throughout The period of the podcast you know this is something we're going to be doing every single week moving forward we want fans to be at the absolute center of this and something that we're both very excited about ryan
1: yeah absolutely um i've obviously done a bit of podcasting and stuff before and i just love the insight from other fans and um looking forward to your insight as well you know inside brockle that is where you actually are on a weekly basis isn't it so uh me as a fan i'm going to be um chomping at the bit to to ask you what goes on inside Brockhall and the little bits of information that you pick up that we might not see. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, I'll certainly uh, do my best. to. You've set me up for a fall there. A bit, well, <laughs> I fingers am. crossed that I, uh, that I managed to deliver on that front. But we're going to get straight into it. Wigan Athletic last night, 0-0 draw at Ewood Park on Sky Sports. Certainly not the result that anyone wanted. Not a brilliant performance either, particularly in that first half. And I think the overriding emotion coming away from Eward Park for me was, what 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 are Blackburn Rovers? What, what is the style? What is the, the identity? And are we getting closer to finding those questions out, the answers to those questions? Or are we moving further away? And I think that's the bigger picture. In terms of the game itself, obviously, it was a game of very few opportunities, the best of which came to Ben Brereton-Diaz in the first half. and as has been the case with him recently. It's now 12 goals without a game for him, Ryan. He fluffed his lines in the with the biggest chance of the game. One-on-one, lovely ball through by Dak, scampered clear. And if this had been in, in September, October, before the World Cup break, you'd have expected the net to bulge, no doubt about it. But it was a telegraph finish. It was quite a tame finish as well. And it, it probably just sums up where he is in front of goal. And He's the last person Rovers need to be out of form right now. Gallagher's not exactly pulling up many trees either. I think there's big question mark still about Jack Vail and whether he's ready to play at Championship Action. And probably, Bradley Dack aside, there aren't that many forward players in form for Rovers at the moment.
1: No, there aren't. And, um, you know, we've obviously won a lot of games 1-0 this season, haven't we? And um, obviously that one was 0-0 yesterday. Yeah. Um... I've seen a lot of stuff about Rowerton Diaz, just, you know, where's his head at? There's this pre-contract agreement with Villarreal, etc., etc. He doesn't strike me as the type of player that would down tools and do that to Rovers. I think ultimately he is grateful for the career that he's had at Rovers, particularly in the last 18 months. So I don't accuse him of any of that type of stuff and, and things that I've seen. However, you know, when the owners are pinning their hopes of promotion essentially on him, When they've taken a decision that we're not going to sell you because we're expecting you to fire us into the top six. We've got to expect better from him. And he he did everything right leading up to that finish, didn't he? He anticipated the ball well. Two brilliant touches to get into the box. And, you know, the only surprising thing was, uh, was the finish. But we saw this last season, actually. He started the season like a house on fire. Then he started playing those games for Chile. And I think his form did dip. And I think he got the injury roundabout this time last season, didn't he, away at West Brom. And it seems to be the same things have happened to him again. So you're absolutely right to to highlight, though, when it is only Bradley Dack at the moment knocking in goals, it seems. We absolutely need more from Brereton Diaz. And we need more from Sam Gallagher as well. I'm not just going to pin it all on Brereton Diaz. You know, Sam Gallagher is a £5 million striker who likewise has all the attributes to score more goals and he doesn't so um yeah we need more from the attacking players
0: absolutely and i completely agree with you on burton diaz i think we've all known the likelihood of him staying at blackburn rovers has been pretty slim beyond the end of the season but greg Broughton says that deal with villarreal is not done from from my understanding it's it's as good as done uh, which we reported on, on Lanks Live a couple of weeks ago during the transfer window. But I don't think that has any impact whatsoever, if I'm being completely honest. He looked very jaded in the build-up to the World Cup break and you were hoping that that period off obviously didn't go to the games with Chile during that period. You hope that that period off was going to help reset him, but he still looks like he's carrying little niggles. That, that dynamism that he had even... Um, when he wasn't particularly scoring goals, he would carry the ball up the pitch. He would get Blackburn up there, and he just looks like a player short of confidence at the moment, and he's missing that that spark and that energy, which I suppose goals will hopefully bring back. And it comes to a wider point about the attack in general and the the inability to get a number nine in on January in January on transfer deadline day, which the, was obviously the top priority for the club in the uh, in January. And they just didn't manage to do that. And it's left them very short up front. You've got Sam Gallagher, who is clearly not in form at the moment. You've got Jack Vale, who is yet to convince at championship level, if I'm being completely honest. I think he should be out on loan somewhere. And I think we're probably expecting too much too soon from him. And outside of that, they haven't got any other options because obviously George Hurst was was let go and nobody came in. For me yesterday, the only thing I would have said is, was Tyrese Dolan not worth a shout up front? Dolan did very well away at Norwich in December. He then got injured the following game against Nottingham Forest in the Cup. And he's not really had much of a chance since. I know he started the Cup game against Birmingham last week, but from the right-hand side. And whilst I don't think that up front is Tyrese Dolan's best position, what he will give you is pressing, intensity. And particularly in that first half, there were so many moments where Blackburn were just way too deep. They didn't step onto Wigan. They didn't press with any sort of intensity. And that's where, again, these questions about the style come in. When Yondal Thomason came into the club, we were told they were going to press high. It was going to be intense. It was going to be high-octane football. And then we're watching them play against bottom of the league, Wigan Athletic, with no disrespect at home, with a back six, with Berriton Diaz and Solbert Thomas following their wing-backs all the way back into their own back line. Where's the bravery? Where's the communication to pass players on where's the intensity to go after the ball because when they did go chasing after the ball at times and i thought Lewis travis was particularly good at this and did it on a few occasions they won it back and they got into some dangerous areas at times
1: yeah they did and on tyree stolen i'm absolutely gobsmacked he didn't make it on the pitch uh last night um brewton diaz should have gone off you know let's just say it as it is he had one of his worst games i've seen in a long time and You know, you just, as a manager, as much as you've said, yes, we're going to keep him, yes, because we want him to fire us into the Premier League, you've got to make those brave decisions. You've mentioned the word bravery there. It's also bravery from the manager to make the big calls. And Breverton diaz had to be hooked last night. And you get Tyree stolen on, it's something different. It freshens it up. Um, So, absolutely. And, yeah, some of the bravery on the pitch as well. We've seen this with Rovers over the last few years. One of my biggest criticisms of a Tony Mowbray side was that we respected the opposition too much. And I was looking at Rovers and I look at us and I think we've got good players that can hurt teams. So why are we setting ourselves up to contain them? This is bottom of the league. I know it's Wigan. I know they're our bogey side. Go and impose ourselves. You know, Ewood Park has been on the whole a happy hunting ground for us this season. So what are we fearing? Sean Maloney's in his first managerial job. You know, let's put them under the cosh. Let's get Sean Maloney thinking about things. But instead, you're absolutely right. It just felt... Tentative. It felt, you know, we'll win this 1-0. We'll get it eventually.
0: It wasn't very proactive, was it? No, and the the numbers bore that out as well. I've been having a look at some of the statistics from the underlying metrics of last night. And um, Pressure per defensive action is a very good way of measuring how much pressure you're putting on the ball. In the first half, Rovers were something like 10.7 passes before they put a foot in from Wigan. In the second half, that was 7.2. And there was a clear improvement after half-time did they do enough to win the game? No, I don't think so, personally. I think Wigan were fair game for a point. But they did up, up the ante and the best avenue and, and route to goal was definitely down that right-hand side in which Sorba Thomas, Lewis Travis and Joe Rankin-Costello, quite a few neat combinations. I think they, they changed things tactically a little bit half-time and went to a more of a back-three out of possession uh, in possession with Pickering coming as a left sided centre half, Wharton and Carter, and that that allowed Rankin Costello sort of drift inwards, Travis to to do those outward rotations. And they got in quite a few times. And if they were going to find a route to goal, it was Sorba Thomas who I thought was quiet in the first half. No, by no means the worst performer or did anything particularly wrong. You know, he certainly didn't shirk his defensive duties as we've touched on. But certainly in the second half he got the bit between his teeth. He looked like he was going to make something happen. And I think that was pretty much underlined by the fact that when Dak and Thomas went off around the eightieth minute, albeit I do think so, but Thomas's race was run, he did look absolutely knackered at that point, having not played a lot of football, the momentum in the game just completely disapparated.
1: Yeah, it did. And um, you're right on your reflection with Sorba Thomas there as well. I think he eased himself into that game in the first half and um, he took that corner in the first half at the Darwin end where I think he absolutely blasted it, you know, 20 yards high and wide. I was like, oh, here we go.
0: Especially after all the talk that they brought in this set set piece specialist.
1: (laughs) That's it. I thought, here we go. uh, He's not going to do what we've seen him do before, but absolutely he came to life in that second half. And those crosses that he was putting in, you know, Bradley Dack is going to score goals off a Sorba Thomas cross. Even Sam Gallagher will. I saw Gallagher go in for a header on a Sorba Thomas cross as well. It's the laws of averages in games, isn't it? You know, you put crosses into the box, you threaten the opposition, you're brave in possession. Eventually it does lead to chances and it does lead to goals. And yeah, last night it was a stodgy old game. And maybe we've not got the rub of the green with that Bradley Dack cross, but Yeah, brilliant performance from Sorba Thomas. And it's exactly what we saw at Huddersfield. You know, everything good about Huddersfield last season was down really to two players, Sorba Thomas and Lewis O'Brien. Enough said about him, or maybe a bit later we will. But um, yeah, Sorba Thomas, brilliant.
0: Yeah, I certainly think it whet the appetite as he gets up to full match speed. There'll there'll be more to come from him down that right-hand side. And there's competition for places out wide now. They've essentially got four wide players um, competing for two spots with Burton Diaz, Dolan, Hedges and Sorber Thomas. Uh, and it was good to see Lewis Travis as well, playing well. I, I gave him my my player of the match on uh, our ratings on Lanks Live and I thought it was his best game for a, for a long time that I've seen anyway. It was the first time actually that uh, Buckley and Travis have started together since October the 4th away at Cardiff, which was a wow. uh, obviously the 1-0 defeat. And Tyler Morton started every single Championship game since then as well. So interesting with the team selection. Suppose the other notable um, absentee was obviously Thomas Kaminsky, who's, who's got a knee injury. Rovers are assessing the severity of that. And it's a good job, really, that Ainsley Pears has been playing relatively regularly because he has been playing in all the Cup games. He obviously played at Birmingham on Tuesday night before Kaminsky got injured on training on Sunday. And he's looked like a safe pair of hands. He certainly played very well in the Nottingham Forest game when they went out the Carabao Cup, despite conceding four goals. And... I think there's been a lot of probably um, a lot of worries about Ainsley Pairs. I think it's fair to say. Obviously, it was the the Wigan game quite infamously where he chucked a couple in. Mm. But I think some of that confidence from the fan base has been started to be rebuilt over the course of the season. And I think, had this happened last year, I think there'd be a lot more panic about than there is right now because he has performed quite well. And again, I thought he he was very decent yesterday. He was confident in his handling. he, He Definitely got an elbow to the face for the Wigan goal that got disallowed. There was no doubt about that one. And I think that he's someone that certainly deserves probably a little bit of a chance in the championship. and, And this Kaminsky injury has probably coincided with that well for him.
1: Yeah, I think so. And um, Ainsley Pears is an interesting one because I think it can be hard as a sub-keeper to you know, fully be integrated into a squad and know what your place is and all of that. But whenever you look at some of the social media stuff that Rovers players put out on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that, Ainsley Pears is always there. Off the pitch, he is a big member of this squad. Um, that helps because you're absolutely right. When your main keeper then gets an injury, Ainsley Pears can come in and feel confident and know these lads on the pitch back me. I'm part of them. And I think that has really helped Ainsley Pears. Maybe last season, he didn't quite have some of that, made those couple of errors and, and looked a bit shaky. But yeah, definitely, he's, he's looked really good in those FA Cup games, looked good again last night. And um, one thing I will say on Kaminsky, um, I saw a lot of unfair criticism, I think, on Thomas Kaminsky on social media. He's made a couple of mistakes, yes, But my word, he's come in and for me is the best goalkeeper that we've had since Brad Friedel. He's that good for me. Yes, we've had some poor goalkeepers along those times. But Kaminsky has stopped us worrying about goalkeeping for a long, long time. So if he's making a couple of errors, I think as fans, we just need to get behind Thomas Kaminsky a little bit. Because keepers do occasionally have a dip in form as well. And maybe some of this injury will just help Thomas Kaminsky just deal with that psychologically, come back, fight, fit, ready to take his place back in the team. But Ainsley Pears is going to have a big say in that, isn't he? If he's going to be performing like that, Kaminsky um, is going to have to do what everyone else in this squad
0: has seemingly had to do, which is earn their place back. It's been interesting with Kaminsky because I think at times he's been Blackburn's best player. And I think at times he's looked a little bit suspect. There were a few moments early in the season, you think back to the the second goal that Reading scored, for example, the one at his near post. And the goal that Lewis Baker scored against Stoke as well earlier in the season. There have been a few moments where he's looked a little bit suspect. Then he had a fantastic run of form. And then he's had a couple of more wobbly moments in the in the last few weeks. So it's been interesting with him. He's got um, the best sort of underlying numbers in terms of goal prevention. They're right up there at championship level. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. We'll find out later in the week when Yondar Thompson does his pre-Watford Press about what time... Uh, frame we're looking at with Kaminsky. And it'll be certainly interesting to see how that develops with the battle for the gloves. Obviously, Ryan, the the big moment in the game and, and the most controversial moment was right at the death. Harry Pickering, penalty. John Donald Thompson certainly thought so. Harry Pickering certainly thought so. And even Sean Maloney seemed to think so. So watching back from the TV, what was your view?
1: It was one of them that on first viewing, it looked like a penalty. But then when I started looking at the replays and actually thinking about this as a a football fan and not a Rovers fan in the 97th minute in the Blackburn end. um, I think you've seen him given, you know, if I give that cliche, there's a little bit of contact there. But I don't think it's the contact that's led to Pickering going down in the way he has. I think it's a very kind of clumsy coming together. Obviously, our pitch is a disgrace at the moment. So the defenders actually probably stumbled on our pitch. And and just on that note, you know, best wishes to Martin Kelly because looks like his injury is a result of our pitch as well. So I think the stumble due to the pitch into Pickering... It's not for me, that one. As much as I obviously would have loved it um, to get a 97th minute penalty, I don't think so.
0: I concur. I I haven't seen it back, actually. But from my first view in live, it looked to me like Watmore sort of slipped and went down. And Pickering just kind of saw him go down and thought, I'll have a little bit of that and see if I can get myself a penalty. Um, Now, everyone else seems to think it was a penalty. But that, that was my first view. I haven't actually seen it back yet either. And... I'm glad that you agree with me, so I don't feel like I'm on my own anyway. <laughs> it's a
1: strange one. It is a really strange one. There is definitely contact. It's it was just...
0: just how slowly they both went down. They almost went down in installments as well, didn't they? It just didn't mm. look
1: natural. Uh, one thing I will say, though, you know, going back to Brereton Diaz, the through ball he played was just half-arsed. It was just a lazy ball through. And actually, had Diaz played that ball as he should have done, Pickering's probably running on to the pass, let alone getting fouled. So I'm looking at the Diaz pass as well as uh, as the incident itself.
0: So Ryan, I think it's probably time we addressed the elephant in the room and, and the transfer window and all the fallout from that, of course. As we record on, on Tuesday at about quarter to five, the deadline has passed for Blackburn Rovers to submit their appeal to the EFL regarding the registration of Lewis O'Brien and Ethan Brealy. Just an absolute mess, really, if we're being completely honest, and a, a seven days to forget for the football club. I'm, I'm intrigued to get your views on it, first and foremost, as a supporter, having seen it all unravel. It's just not ever a situation you want your football club to be associated with. It It has been a bit of a farce.
1: It has. And I think as fans, we've all gone through, you know, the various stages of grief with this one. I think Um, obviously the bedrock that all Rovers fans are on here is, you know, relegation from the Premier League, Venki's ownership, whether you agree with it or not. All the pain that we've had through the years, League One, all of that stuff. That's the bedrock and the baseline, which you're always opening those scars when things like this happen. The stages of grief, obviously, Lewis O'Brien, what a player he would have been to bring into this team. You know, when that news broke, you know, yourself and Rich Sharp and others broke that news, I was excited. It was like, wow, this is a player that's going to improve us in the team of the season last year for Huddersfield. This time last year, if you told me we were getting Salva Thomas and Lewis O'Brien, we all would have gone mentally nuts for the right reasons. So I was excited for those reasons. So then obviously when it didn't happen, um, you know, I'll come on to that in a moment. When it didn't happen, it's those stages of grief that you go through, isn't it? So there's the anger. Why has this happened? Why can't the club get it right? What's going on? There's the upset that we're actually not getting a really good player in Lewis O'Brien. And then there's just the kind of numbness and the disbelief that, you know, against that bedrock of stuff that I've just explained there. Here we go again. Another thing. When does this end for Rovers? It just gets you feeling numb as a fan again. In terms of, you know, the reasons why it's happened, a couple of things I'll say. Um, It's not been said explicitly by Greg Broughton, and I could be wide of the mark here, but... There is clearly some human error that's happened within Ewood Park on that night. And let's remember that there are human beings that are earning livelihoods and livings and human beings make uh, make mistakes sometimes. So I'm personally not going to hang those individuals out to dry for something that anyone could do in their day to day job. You know, we all make mistakes. Um, The other thing I'll say Greg Broughton, I really appreciated him coming out and fronting up to the media and and fronting up on Rovers TV. Um, I thought that took a, a lot of bottle to do. I think it showed excellent leadership and I think it showed what he's about and what he's trying to do with JDT. Some people will be more extreme in their views than I'm expressing here. I get that. I get that people are feeling angry about it all. But a thing I'm hanging on to with what Greg Broughton said is he said, we use the same process that we've used for the last 10 years. This now gives him an opportunity to actually eyeball whether those processes are good enough and fit for purpose and make some positive changes. And do you know what? If we get to the summer and we start making some exciting signings as a result of new process and procedure that Greg Broughton has brought in, then I'll take the pain of losing out on Lewis O'Brien. And just another little side note, as Rovers fans, we all need to ask ourselves, is Lewis O'Brien, is that the difference between Rovers making top six or not? You and I have just earlier on on this podcast, Elliot, said about the goal-scoring problems that we've got. So, yes, I'm disappointed that we lost out on Lewis O'Brien and the manner in which it happened. I'm probably more disappointed that we've not signed that number nine. You know, Dennis Sundav, Kone, whoever it was meant to be. That's where our problem is ultimately going to lie this season. That turns a nil-nil at home to Wigan when Diaz isn't in form into a one-nil.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think Lewis O'Brien would have been a phenomenal signing, that said. I think he was the best midfielder in the Championship last season. And I don't really understand why he's not been given a fair crack at the whip at Forrest. But that's by the by. You've got to feel so gutted for him because he now is not going to play any football for the next six months if this appeal isn't successful. Which, by Greg Broughton's own admission, it's unlikely with the precedent that the EFL have set. I've been speaking to obviously people at the club yesterday and 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 last week as well. Despite being off on on paternity leave, there was about twelve minutes that Lewis O'Brien was late. But there was there's extenuating circumstances where the EFL were asking for reassurances and information on contract details that just are illogical, is what I'll say. I'll wait. I'll probably I've got a rough idea of what's gone on, but I think it's probably better for Greg to come out and explain it in full rather than me potentially butcher it, but. The Ethan Brearley one was seven seconds out. And you're absolutely right that there's been some human error from what I understand. But I also think there are some mitigating circumstances where the EFL haven't helped either. I don't expect it to get overturned for the same for the exact same reasons that Greg Broughton has, has outlined because of the, the precedent that's been set previously. But it's really difficult because on one hand, these mistakes do happen. But at the same time, you have got people in place at an elite level football club at the top of professional football that shouldn't be making these mistakes and should make sure that these things get over the line. And I think the full reasons will come out. Greg Broughton has said he's happy to come back to speak to local media this week. Um, Regardless of whether if the appeal is unsuccessful, they will outline what what the issues were and brief the local media rather than particularly put a club statement out. So we'll have an even better idea then and, and we'll be able to go into it in even more depth. But from, from what I've heard and the understandings, it's a, it's a fair bit of human error. And I think there's also been some cases where the EFL have just overcomplicated what was already a relatively complex deal with the obviously the, the obligation to buy if Blackburn were promoted for a certain figure, what those wages would then look like if Blackburn were, say, relegated and things like that that came into it. And in the end... They were about 12 minutes out on Lewis O'Brien and about seven seconds out on Ethan Briley. But there were conversations with the FL that could have sped that process up. So I think everyone's a little bit to blame. I can see why everyone's gutted. But as you said, the biggest disappointment is not getting a striker. You know, myself and, and Rich and Radio Lanks were were constantly told throughout the transfer window the top target is to bring a centre forward in. Dennis Undav was agreed. They were waiting on the green light, very similar to the way that Tyler Morton and Seth Vandenberg were agreed in the summer and they were just waiting for the green light for those to be officially approved. Obviously, that never happened with Vandenberg, but it did with Morton. And Under decided he didn't want to come in the end. He decided he wanted to stay at Brighton and fight for his place. Ironically, he started at the weekend for them and <laughs> Mr. Sitter, I don't know if you've seen it, he sort of blocked <laughs> off the post. Um, so that that was quite funny to watch. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't want to come. They they've obviously had so many different ducks in a row that you know you never just focus on one target. The Kone deal broke down relatively last minute because um, nothing to do with with Blackburn, but the player that um, they were supposed to shift out, uh, sorry, to sign to to let Kone go that fell through, and that can happen in the transfer window and the January window in particular is very much a window of dominoes. as we, as you know, It's a little bit cliche, it's been said so many times, but you are waiting for a chain reaction. You're waiting for other deals to get your business done. Um, Joe Gelhard was a player that I think was, well, he was definitely on the list. I know that for a fact. I don't think he was certainly Yondar Thompson's first choice. I think the idea Thompson wanted, he wanted a striker that could stretch the play, that could run him behind. And I think the fear with Gelhard was, is he another diminutive attacker, similar to what we've already got, that wants to come to feet and create rather than stretch the play and offer something different. And I can kind of see what they're saying with that. Plus the sort of package he was on financially was a lot more than some of the other clubs. I think he's on something like 40 grand a week and Sunderland are paying. Obviously it wouldn't have been paying all of that, but it would have been a portion of that with um clauses from what I understand where if you didn't if he'd not played a certain amount of minutes that fee and that the loan contribution would have gone up and up. So if you've already got a striker that your manager's a little bit unsure on in terms of will he fit the right style of play, the last thing you want is to be punished financially because he's not getting the minutes that you, you've agreed to. So I understand why that one, they were never they they were in for him, but they were never as strong. It wasn't like they were blown out of the water and he chose Sunderland. Undav was unlucky um because he didn't want to come and so was Kone. But to not get a striker through the door and to let George Hurst go as well because George Hurst couldn't be recalled by Leicester without Blackburn's agreement. Let's make that clear. It was made very clear early in the window that he couldn't be sent back by Rovers and he couldn't be recalled unless all parties agreed. Now, Blackburn clearly did agree to those parties or he wouldn't have gone. So that was a risk they were running to then do that and not get a striker in. It seemed inconceivable going into January that they would end the month weaker in terms of options up front than when they started it. But ultimately, that is where they are right now
1: yeah and it's ironic because we've just been talking about sauber thomas i actually think george hurst would thrive on sauber thomas deliveries into the box so um you know that is unfortunate in that sense you're absolutely right we've essentially thought we had the green light on dennis undav let george hurst go and and we run the risk of that deal um obviously not going through in the way it has what it possibly does do now is open up the door for certainly Jack Vale to get more minutes as as we've just reflected on. I think there's still work to be done for him to convince me, but I'm seeing little flashes with his hold-up play and, and other things like that. Hopefully, It's, it's can... probably
0: too much too soon for him, isn't it? Yeah. If we're being completely so. honest. That's my my feeling on it. Without being harsh, I think he's clearly got talent. They've given him a new long-term contract, but he probably should be on loan at the top end of League 2 or League 1, banging in some goals and gaining some confidence and heading for pre-season to make an impact for next season.
1: Totally. And, um, you know, the other one it probably opens up a place for is Harry Leonard, who I've seen in and around the squad. But, um, you know, I look at Rovers at the moment and the thing that's bothering me the most about our performances, particularly away from home, we need a central presence. I think we're a really, really easy side to defend against. You know, the Rotherham away game, for example, um, they had Sean Morrison at the back, who literally had a cigar out in that back line that they had because we had no one engaging with him. Which
0: probably does sort of go back to what Thomason was wanting, mm-hmm. where we need more runners that can go beyond defences. It's all Hopefully. very samey and to feet. You think Hedges, um, certainly Dak as well, smodics those sort of players, they all want the ball to feet. They're not someone totally. that can stretch beyond the pitch, can they? I think Gallagher can do it with the right service. I think Dolan has obviously got that potential as well, but he's not got the physical attributes to run the channels particularly. It's got to be an even better ball to find him. They need someone that can penetrate in behind because someone like Sean Morrison is going to eat up anything in the air. He's going to, you know, anything on the ground is meat and drink for him. You want to turn him in behind. You want to make him run back towards his own goal.
1: Yeah, and we had no one engaging him. As I say, he could just sit there with that cigar, observe the game, because we were just dropping off into the space all the time. Jack Vale sometimes was in line with Tyler Morton, and um, I think it was Lewis Travis that day. It could have been John Buckley. Um, You know, it was just ridiculous. So we need a central presence. And if we have to force Sam Gallagher to play that way as a result of this January transfer window, particularly with the knowledge we've got Sorba Thomas on the right delivering some balls into the box, then... Maybe that's the way we're going to have to go. But, you know, just to address your, your very first question on this, yeah, really, really disappointing that we've seemingly weakened ourselves because, for me, we're going to have those results like we had last night, the 0-0 at home to Wigan. They're going to be the games where you need that fox in the box and we can't just rely on Bradley Dack all the time. You know, we can't.
0: I think that result last night really sums up the frustration of the last seven days, doesn't it? The last thing it they does. needed was a 0-0 draw <laughs> against bottom of the league at home after the seven days they've had, where they've had a few half chances, didn't probably do enough to create enough to win the game, as I've said previously, but enough half chances where if you've got that striker, they'd probably win the game 1-0 and, and everyone's feeling a lot better around the place. But it does feel like the club is at a bit of a low ebb in terms of just the general mood. There's obviously a huge level of frustration uh, with Yondar Thomason in terms of he's frustrated. You know, his post-match interview um, last night and that was very similar to the one he did with Sky, which I've seen back since, where... He's very deadpan with his responses about the window. You know, one striker went out, one winger went out, one winger came in. What about Lewis O'Brien? He's a central midfielder. You can, you know, it's not subtle, is it? And he did the exact same with local media when he came to speak to us as well. He pointed out that Wigan had signed six new players and Watford had signed eight new players, of course, who they play on Saturday. So he's not being very subtle or, or you know, hiding his frustration and disappointment. And clearly he feels underbacked. There clearly was some money available by the fact they had a six-figure bid for Ryan Porteous, um, which was agreed. But, of course, he's gone to Watford. What's the odds on him scoring at the weekend, by the way? He scored at debut
1: as well, didn't he? So.
0: <laughs> exactly. And there was money put down for a loan fee for Sorber Thomas. I know Greg said it was um, a net neutral by the fact that the wages leveled out. But I understand they have put a relatively decent loan fee down as well for him. So there was a little bit of money in wiggle room and clearly if Undad had come off or if Kone had signed, they'd have been paying their wages and maybe a loan fee. However, those agreements were going to be structured. So there was some money there. And I I think Jan's got every right to feel frustrated. But at the same point, you kind of need the figurehead to read the room a little bit and and really give the fans a little bit of belief. I know we keep saying that Blackburn were not expected to be Mm. um, one of the favourites to go up. And that is absolutely correct. Do not get me wrong. A top 10 finish at the start of the season would have been a good season for Blackburn. But you've got to adapt and adjust to where the level of the league is, and when you've been third, going, uh sorry when you were second going into the World Cup break, and given how poor the league is outside of probably the top four teams, of which I would say the top two, Burnley and Sheffield United, and now West Brom and Middlesbrough, who look absolutely nailed on for me, that fifth and sixth spot are really up for grabs, and it would be a real disappointment if Blackburn just let this this frustration of January. Ebb into the rest of the season, and, and it's all too a familiar tale as we saw last season and the season before that under Tony Mowbray. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think no Rovers fan had Rovers in the top six going into this season, but you know teams have been promoted and, and get themselves into contention from nowhere in every Championship, League One, and League Two season that I've seen in the EFL over the years. So we get ourselves into a really good position. um So, you know, we have to ride that wave as best we can. There's two things I'll say once we're in that position. So the first, some of the away performances that I've seen have been the worst that I've seen from rovers at this level. Um, certainly since promotion back from League One and obviously since relegation from the Premier League. Some of those away performances where we've not registered a shot on target, where we've not looked likely, where it's just been a really disjointed performance, they have been as bad as I've ever seen. And we've had some bad managers, which we won't name on this podcast as well. The other thing I'll say, um, maybe it was just better for Rovers to flatline around 11th and 12th this season and have a little bit of hope and feel like playoffs are just about there and reachable rather than what we've done, which is start the season like a house on fire and then have this massive drop-off. I think that kind of drop-off, the fact that we don't come from behind in games, these away performances that I've talked about, had the season happened in a different way, where we're 11th and 12th, uh, 11th or 12th, picking up wins every now and again, better away performances. Actually, the sentiment in the fan by uh, fan base might be a bit better, even though we're arguably lower in the league. So it has been a strange old season. And, you know, with the the question that you raise there, absolutely. I'm not cutting Thomason that slack. He can't sit there and say no one expected Rovers to be up there, because actually when we've got ourselves there, those collapses, the away performances, and the fact we never come from behind are very damning statistics.
0: I think we've seen, there's just not been any progress on that front, has, has there? And no. It's a young group, and he's absolutely right in what he says. But he also said very, you know, religiously in the first, earlier the months, we will be a much better side mm. after the November World Cup break. I've yet to see any real evidence of that, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. I think we've just, There's been a lot of moments where players have been in and out of the team and it's not been always apparent why. Um, Obviously, we had Smoddicks getting dropped at one stage. Dak didn't get any football of any kind in the first half of the season. Adam Wharton sort of disappeared off the face of the earth, all that be it he's he's injured at the moment as well. Yeah, Scott Wharton getting dropped for the Burnley game and bringing Clinton Muller in. There's just been some very strange decisions at times where Jan, you would have to say, has probably not helped himself. Yeah. But equally, I do think they were overachieving. But the underlying numbers were clear. I know a lot was made of the the metrics earlier in the season, but you can't outperform your expected goals and the lack of chance creation throughout a 46-game season. You just can't do that. And I think we also need to bear in mind that this is probably the last season they're going to have Ben Brereton-Diaz. So that's yeah. an opportunity to strike. And the, the owners have clearly backed them financially by saying, no, we're going to give you another season of him to try and keep them up. Because if you look, if we're being completely honest looking at this Blackburn team, he's the one Premier League quality player in the team. Um, and even then, he's, had, he's probably Premier League quality for the first half of the season and top end of the championship for the second half of the season. So without him in the side, it significantly weakens it. And that's the difficult thing to balance because they're overachieving if they get in the top six. But by the same token, clubs overachieve every year, like Huddersfield and Luton yep. last season. Who would have had Huddersfield one game away from the Premier League last season? You've got to adapt to the season in front of you. And I think from what I've picked up, there's been um, frustration with the fans at Thomason. Rather than going, we're not favourites, we're not favourites, we're not favourites, which is absolutely correct. I think they would have liked a little bit of, yeah, we, we're overachieving, but do you know what? We can, we're can we a good team and we can go and do this. And that that little bit more belief, I think, has riled a few fans from, from what I've picked up on.
1: Yeah, and overachieving cannot be used as an excuse to excuse some very damning results, as I've said. 4-0 away at Rotherham when they've not won at home since November or whatever it was. The 3-0 away performance at Burnley. The 3-0 away at Sheffield United. Was it 3-0 at Reading? Some of these The Reading one th-
0: was shocker,
1: yeah. Oh, you know, these are dreadful performances. So overachieving does not excuse those performances. We are right to expect better, even if we are 24th in this this league we should not be losing 4-0 away at Rotherham like so overachieving is not an excuse so you know i i'm not cutting thomas and the slack with that i cut the slack in areas such as young team frustrating transfer window you know other things that have happened during the season yes i'll cut the slack there because this young squad definitely needs our support and definitely needs our backing but no i am absolutely right to expect that when we're paying our money and travelling to Rotherham and places like that we can at least expect a, a shot on target in the second half when we're trying to come back in a game and looking likely. you know That is stuff that can't be excused.
0: And as someone that grew up in South Yorkshire, I think everyone deserves better when you have to travel to Rotherham because That's it. that is not a nice place to travel to. Um, and I'm allowed to say that because I grew up nearby. Uh, it doesn't get any easier really, Ryan, does it? When you look at the fixture schedule, Watford away on Saturday. They are... A side that have been quite erratic at times and probably flattered to deceive. Sound familiar? But <laughs> nonetheless, a very good team with very good players, uh, a good manager and experienced manager who's got promotion out of this league before. Blackburn obviously beat them two 0 in the reverse fixture, so it's, it'll be an interesting. It, again, it's so arbitrary what what version of Blackburn Rose is going to turn up. There is no doubt that Blackburn have got the capabilities to go to Vicarage Road and get a result. But they could equally get turned over 4 0, and I don't think either result would particularly surprise fans.
1: No, uh, Watford are a, a dangerous side in that regard because when they turn it on and when they click, they really click. You know, players like Ismail Assar and, and Hal Pedro, um, you know, absolutely brilliant at this level. I've not kept up to date w- whether they're injured or, or not going into this game. I know Watford have got lots of injuries, but you're absolutely right if we turn up. With any semblance of that away performance at the likes of Rotherham, Burnley, Sheffield United, it's going to be another heavy scoreline. Unfortunately, the quality does eventually rise to the top in this division, and um, it rises to the top eventually at League One and League Two level, as Rovers found when we got promoted as well. So we have to be wary of sides like Watford and West Brom, uh, and we have to threaten them more. You know, we cannot have no shots on target away from home. We cannot look unlikely. Um, of finding the net at times like we did last night against Wigan. We simply have to be better. And if we harbour any ambitions of the top six, if there are fans that still think that we might, we simply have to go and get a result at Watford. Um, And that would put us above them. Uh, it would send out a real message. It would re-energise the fan base, etc., cetera, et cetera. But yeah, Watford are a dangerous side, Elliot. And, um, you know, I'm expecting a really tough game on Saturday, that's for sure.
0: And, of course, it seems written in the stars that Ryan Portis will make yeah. it 2-2, two two, having scored on his debut against Reading. And that's just the way it goes for Rovers as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, sadly so. I am absolutely expecting that goal to go in. I'll have to look at their squad and see if there's another ex-Rovers player in there or someone we've been linked with before as well and, and do my research in that sense. But, yeah, you can just see it now. Porteous in front of the Rovers fans in the away end. It's... One of them that will just sigh when it happens (laughs) rather than get angry.
0: (laughs) We're going to round off this week's podcast now with a new feature that we're going to be running throughout the course of the podcast, and that is Rover's Riddle, where... Ryan is going to be competing with you guys, the listeners, um, with a few little Blackburn Rovers hints to work out the player. So I'm going to be giving you a, a clue, Ryan, every single week. And I want you to try and work out which player, former Blackburn Rovers player or current potentially, um, is being described. We want you at, at home to, to get involved as well. So make sure you tweet us your answer at Inside Brockhall, and uh, we'll find out next week if Ryan's managed to, to work it out. So Ryan... First clue for Rover's riddle: um, the festive ship is swaying side to side. That is player number one for you to try and work out. And for you at home, make sure I say you're tweeting us at Inside Broccoli to give us your answer. And the second one is a Middle Eastern city suitable for cars, bikes, and pedestrians. So it's very much like the the game Blockbusters if you uh, if you're old enough to remember that. Um, so that's one for, for, for you guys to have a think about at home. And I hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the Inside Broccoli podcast. We've certainly enjoyed putting it together and all the preparation and planning that's gone into this. As I say, it's going to be a weekly pod coming out, usually on a Monday, depending if Sky Sports play have it with the uh, schedules or not, which obviously we know how much they like to do. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Inside Broccoli and make sure you are subscribed in your chosen podcast app should be up and running on Apple and Google as well as Spotify very soon. So make sure you're subscribed and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Inside Brock Hall Podcast.